the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who reigns above. The nation of Israel had finally entered and conquered the land promised to them. God gave them the victory over all the Canaanite kings and cities that stood against them. There was no army left to fight against Israel at this time in the land of Canaan. The war was finally over. It was time for rest. But does this mean there is no work to be done still? Wasn't there still a lot of land promised that needed to be fought for and conquered? We find answers to these questions as we join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 13, verse 1. But each individual tribe will need to possess the land that the nation won. Because within these empty lands, pockets of enemies who did not join in the war still remain. So as we begin the second section of Joshua, the dividing of the land to the tribes tonight, the second half of Joshua, we're going to begin a new journey. Will Israel enter in to all that God won for them, or will they doubt the Lord and miss out? While the war is over, the question of rest remains. And so in the first 12 chapters, we learned lots of keys to the victorious Christian life. But tonight, we're going to begin to learn the keys to entering into the rest that Christ's victory won for us. So I hope this will be a blessing for you as well. Chapter 13, we begin in verse 1. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said to him, You are old and stricken in years. There remains yet very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains. All the borders of the Philistines and all Geshuri, and Sihor, which is before Egypt, even under the borders of Ekron northward, which is counted to the Canaanite. Five lords of the Philistines still need to be beaten. The Gazathites, the Ashtothites, the Eshkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, also the Avites. From the south of the land of the Canaanites and Meirah, that is beside the Sidonians unto Aphek to the borders of the Amorites. The land of the Giblites and all Lebanon toward the sun rising from Baalgad under Mount Hermon unto the entering into Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon unto Misrephothmaim and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel only. Divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance if I, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. Here we see that there are enemies left in the land that the nine and a half tribes need to deal with. And God tells Joshua to get moving right from the start. It says, now Joshua was old and stricken in years. The phrase stricken in years, it means he is entering the final stage of his life. Chapter 14 of Joshua tells us that Caleb is 85 years old at this time. So it's likely Joshua is around that age. He's probably about 90 years old at this time. This means the time between Israel entering the land and chapter 13 is five years. So five years have gone by in Joshua 1 through 12. I know you probably think, Pastor Will, you've taught it for about 15 years. We've moved through it pretty rapidly as far as the events that occur, and yet five years have gone by in just those 12 chapters. 
chapters 10 and 11, which cover the bulk of the war, the conquering of the South, conquering the North, I believe they probably cover the largest portion of those five years. But it's also likely that there was some downtime after the victory after the victories. The soldiers would be exhausted. They'd want to spend time with their families from being away on the long campaign. And Gilgal, this had been their family's home for five years. They'd been living in tents for 45 years. So that was actually much more normal to them than moving into cities. The land while conquered represented the unknown for them. So it's not a surprise that the Lord speaks to Joshua here with kind of a you're not getting any younger, son, and your job's not finished. (laughs) Your job's not finished, and you're running out of time, Joshua. He says, there is means yet very much land to be possessed. Joshua lives to be 110 years old, so he's going to be around for another 20 years or so. But this highlights a very real danger that you and I face. Putting off obedience, the task that God has set us on or whatever he tells us to do in his word, putting that off gets easier and easier as more time goes by. And if we put it off long enough, we may never get around to it. And so he tells Joshua now, even though he's got 20 years left of life, he says, you're getting older, Joshua. You need to finish the job I set you on. Joshua needs to deal with the remaining foes in the land. And we see them listed here in verses two through six. And they're kind of divided into just two areas, two sections. You have the Mediterranean coastline. And the Mediterranean coastline is primarily the land of the Philistines. It says, this is the land that yet remains all the borders, all the territory or the region of the Philistines and all Geshuri. Now, the Philistines, the Bible calls their homeland Kaftor, which most believe to be the island of Crete. They were a seafaring people who had invaded the Canaanite coastline from the sea. They were experts in metallurgy and with superior weaponry, they were not only able to carve out a land for themselves from the Canaanites, but they were able to fend off the Egyptians and become some of their fiercest rivals in the region. Something interesting about that area of the land of the Philistines, the word Palestine actually means land of the Philistines. When the Romans leveled Jerusalem in 70 AD, and when they killed the last remaining rebellion forces of the Jewish Jewish nation in 72 AD, 73 AD, they expelled all Jews out of the promised land and renamed it from Israel to Palestine because they knew the the Philistines were the hated enemies of the Jews. So that's where you first hear the name Palestine, land of the Philistines. It also mentions here, and all the Geshuri. The Geshuri were a people that dwelt south of the Philistines, right up against the border of Egypt. To get to to them, you'd have to deal with the Philistines first, which is why they hadn't been dealt with yet. Israel had not dealt with the Philistines. Philistines didn't join any of the alliances. They said, we're fine on our own. We'll let Israel have that land. If they want our land, they need to come and take it from our cold, dead hand. What's interesting about this region here, it mentions in verse 3 from Sihor, the word is an Egyptian word actually, Sihor, it means the pool of Horus, and it was the river in the Sinai Peninsula that marked the border between Egypt and Canaan. But this area where it says from Sihor, which is right there before Egypt, even at the borders of Ekron, Ekron would be the northernmost of the five major Philistine cities, it's about 25 miles west of Jerusalem, from The river there by Egypt, the border there, all the way up there to Ekron was unconquered by Israel. It mentions here this area, and it mentions that five lords of the Philistines are in charge of that whole region. The Ashdothites, the Ashkelonites, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and the Avites. These five lords, the word their lord actually means tyrants, and they were surely tyrants. They represent this path here, what's called in old times, the way of the sea. So if you're going to travel from Egypt into Syria to Damascus or some other place, the way of the sea was the quickest path to go. But if you remember back in Exodus, when 
Moses and Israel came out of Egypt that the Lord said to Moses, he said, now Moses, I don't want you going to the land of Canaan by the way of the sea because I don't want the people to get discouraged. So instead, they crossed over the Red Sea, crossed through the Red Sea and went the route of the Sinai Peninsula, the way of Zin, it's called, the wilderness of Zin, the desert, that northern part of the Sinai Peninsula was called Zin. And so they took the way of Zin. Now, God had said, I don't want them to people to get discouraged because of a fierce battle right away. Well, that's the area where the Philistines and the Geshurites lived. They were always warring with the Egyptians and the Lord knew these guys were slaves coming out of Egypt and he didn't want them having to fight their fiercest foes right away. What's interesting though is they're still here now and now Israel's gonna have to deal with them not the same way they dealt with everyone else. Now these five tyrants, they ruled these five cities but then it mentions in verses four through six the area in the north is also, the far north is also unconquered. It says, and also from the south all the land of the Canaanites and Miera which is beside the Sidonians. Now, Miera means, and the cave dwellers. We don't know who this refers to, it's, but it's a people in the north next to the Sidonians. Now, the Sidonians are in modern-day Lebanon. That's, that is the, the city of Sidon, a very famous ancient city. Tyre and Sidon were two Phoenician cities of the Sidonians, way up in the north in modern-day Lebanon. So, I mean, these are areas that were way far north that we don't usually think of as Israeli territory. Okay, But God says, I'm going to give that land to you as well. He says, unto Aphek. The word Aphek just means a fortress. Multiple towns go by the name of Aphek in the Bible all over this region. One of them is listed as already defeated in Joshua 12, 18. So this is clearly a different one since it's not conquered yet. Most identify it with a city just north of Mount Hermon that bordered the land controlled by King Og and Bashan. So basically it's saying from all the way by the Mediterranean River, all the way east to the land of Bashan, way far north by Mount Hermon, that's land I'm going to give to you as well. And, verse 5, the land of the Giblites and all Lebanon toward the sun rising, the east, from Baal Gad under Mount Hermon unto the entering into Hamath. Now, Baal Gad was the northernmost city that Joshua had conquered. That's where he had chased the armies of the north, the confederation of the north. That's as far as he chased them. God says, well, you didn't go far enough. Because this land remains unconquered, I'm going to give the land all the way from Balgad, where you stopped, all the way north, it says, to the entering in of Hamath. Now, Hamath is a city in Syria, just on the other side of the Orontes River, which marks the border between Lebanon and Syria. Just as the places the Sidonians to this whatever fortress it is, Aphek, marked the east-west boundaries in the north they had conquered, from Baal Gad all the way up to the entrance of, the, of Hamath. He says, all that land... That's land that's yours. And he explains, all the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon unto Misrephoth, Maim, and all the Sidonians, them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. This land, again, it's way north in modern-day Lebanon, but still part of what God promised to Abraham. Now, here's the crazy part. Israel never in all of their history has controlled that region. Never. Never. Not under David, not under Solomon. But God told Joshua that he would give it and more to Israel. He says, not just that, but all the land of the Sidonians. The Sidonians aren't even Canaanites, they're Phoenicians, but they were living in land that God promised to Abraham. So God says, I will defeat them too. You might be thinking, I thought the war's over. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like a lot for Joshua to do still. Well, the war is over because Joshua's job isn't to take this land. It's his job to divide the land to each individual tribe so that the tribes who are given these sections of unconquered land can trust God to take it for themselves. 
And that's where we're going to get to the focus of this second half of the book of Joshua. Jesus, he won the war already. But how many of you know that there are battles every day that you and I fight? Jesus is victory, victory in Jesus, right? But you wake up some days and, and you don't hear the horns of victory, you hear the horns of the enemy, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, I don't even have to wait until I wake up. You know, right the moment I wake up, it's looking at me. Two kids who are fighting, right? Right there. What am I going to do? Well, there are battles to be fought. And it's like Jesus has to come out and he has to go defeat the enemy all over again. No, I, and I don't even have to go out and defeat the enemy necessarily. I just need to, by faith, rest in Christ, finish victory, and take the ground that he won for me. And that's what we're going to spend our time on this second half of Joshua, learning how to do. Joshua's job is to divide the land so the individual tribes can take the land to trust God for the victory that was already won. So he says to them, only you divide it by lot unto Israel for an inheritance as I have commanded you. So verse 7, now therefore, this is what you need to get going on. Divide this land for an inheritance of the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Time is running out, Joshua. The people are getting comfortable. It's time to obey part two of your job. And if you look at Deuteronomy 31.7 and Joshua 1.6, it's a little line in there where he says, you're going to go in and you're going to fight the Canaanites and you're going to divide the land to the nation of Israel. That was part of Joshua's job. And see, the temptation would be to think, I'm finished, I did it. I did everything God told me to do. We have four birth children, and you know we, we have poured into them. We've seen marvelous fruit in all their lives. Through that whole process of discipling our kids and everything, it's been very rewarding to watch them grow in the Lord and to make good decisions. And obviously, they're not all grown up yet. We're not done with that task yet, but things seem like they're running really smooth in our house. And then the Lord said, I want you to adopt two more children, beautiful children, wonderful children, but children that we haven't discipled from birth. And therefore, you start from scratch but they're not born that way with an empty slate. It's crazy because there have been numerous times where we have looked at each other and we thought, life's pretty cushy right now. Why do we want to do this? And oftentimes that can happen in our lives as Christians. We can begin to say, hey, my marriage is doing better. Or hey, I've got this whole Christian thing down. I'm reading my Bible with some regularity and praying regularly. You know, I'm, go, I'm plugged into church now. And, and all of a sudden just become comfortable where we are. And, and here's the crazy part about comfortableness. As a Christian, you never stand still. Do you know that? You never stand still. The Christian life is one of motion. You can't just stand still. So that means you're either moving forwards, backwards, or sideways. So when we grow comfortable, what begins to happen? We stop pressing in. We stop trusting God. We stop taking steps of faith, right? And what happens? We either begin to slowly backslide or we get distracted and we go off the path. The Christian life is it's not like American retirement, right? Pastor Chuck, someone asked him and said, Pastor Chuck, he said, why, why does it seem like the end of your life is the hardest part of your life? Because some of his dip, most difficult trials that he went through was at the end of his life. Why is it that the end of your life seems like it's the most difficult part of your life? And he, he answered very simply and he said, because I need to learn to trust God more. No matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, maybe it's just me. I don't think it is. I think you're all in the same boat. I discover that God has areas that he needs to reveal to me that I don't trust him. Areas that I need to be stretched. Areas where I need to learn to trust him more. And the only way you learn to trust him more is by tackling something more difficult than you've ever tackled before. Do you see how that works? Now, some of you are going, I'm out. I'm comfortable. I'm out. Don't want any more difficult in my life. 
And you know, I can't tell you how many times in each stage of my life where I've thought, God, I've, I got it. I'm walking in the victory and life is good and things are smooth. And the Lord says, I want to stretch you again. And I go, what? No, <laughs> I don't want this. I'm, everything's perfect right now, Lord. I'm kind of like Peter and, and James and John when they're up on the mountaintop and they see Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking and everything's great. And they just want to build three tents and stay there forever. That's me. We climb this mountain and I'm battling against the enemy. You know, we find the victory. We rested in Christ and plant the flag and let's just build three tents and stay here forever, right? And the Lord goes, good job. Well, next mountain's over there. For real? I mean, that whole idea of Peter, he says, let's build three tents. While Peter's saying this, the Lord, read the scripture. It says, and the Lord interrupted Peter. I love that because that's me. <laughs> that's me. I'm just going my merry way, trucking along. And the Lord says, hey, Will, I know, I know you're happy. I know things are good, but I'm going to interrupt this part of your life because I need you to go take that mountain next. And the beautiful part is people, people tell us, hey, it's wonderful what you've done for these kids. Do you know what almost every member of our family has said through this? We need this. I need this. I need to grow in the Lord. And this is helping me grow in the Lord. And wherever you're at in, in your life, if the Lord is saying, hey, go take that mountain, you need it. The Bible says he'll withhold no good thing from you, right? So if he's allowing something into your life, then guess what? It's for your good, right? It's for your good. Peter is not inhuman, you know, as he's writing about trials and tribulations. He explains, he goes, no trial for the present time is, is joyful. When you're going through a difficult time and you're trying to learn to trust God and failing to do so over and over again, it's hard. It's hard. When I look back in my life when God first told me to climb certain mountains, I'm just being frank with you, I didn't think I'd reach the top of some of those. Quite a few of them. When I was at the bottom and looking up, I was going, there's no way. I'm never going to be different. I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to get there, Lord. So no trial for the present time seems joyous, Peter said, but we have to understand what it's producing in us and keep taking those steps, learning to trust the Lord. This, this was part of Joshua's job. Yeah, the land's conquered, Joshua, but you're not done yet. Not done yet. I'm done fighting. <laughs> I was Moses a general. I, I, we've, we've conquered the Canaanites. The land is conquered. The war's over. It'd be very easy just to go, I'm done, Lord. And you know, what's crazy is in the Bible, we see so many people who don't finish well, like good men who don't finish well. Noah, how does Noah, what's the last recorded thing we hear about Noah? He's drunk and naked in his tent, right? Like, how do you like that for your testimony? Here died Noah, drunk and naked in his tent. Wait, that, no, what about the whole ark thing? That's what we should remember, right? Well, that's not the last thing the scriptures mention about him. David, remember David? What's David doing at the end of his life? It's like, it's like a Godfather movie, seriously. He's at the end of his life and he's curled up with some little girl because he's cold, right? And then he says, Solomon, make sure you don't let Joab's gray head go to the grave in peace. Make sure you, and he, like, he puts out a hit list on like three people. Like there's so many people that we look through in the scripture that don't finish well because they got to a place where they said, Lord, I'm, I'm kind of done fighting. I've done enough, haven't I? I've, I've defeated enough giants. I've conquered enough Philistines. I've taken enough land. So the Lord says, Joshua, it's time to finish your job. Don't become comfortable finish the task. And so he says to him, I want you to divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes. Now the word divide there, it means by lot, which means to allocate by divine choice. Where each tribe would receive their land was not Joshua's choice. It would be wholly dependent upon God. That way, Joshua and the other leaders, they couldn't be accused of favoritism and who got what portions of land. Now, you might be saying, wait a second, Pastor, well, I thought there was 12 tribes. Why does it say nine and a half tribes here? Well, because the other two and a half tribes already received their land. Verse eight, 
with whom the Reubenites and the Gadites have received their inheritance. So the two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and then the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, they already received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward on the other side of the Jordan, even as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. And then it just lists the boundaries of the Transjordan area here. From Eroer, that is upon the bank of the river Arnon, and the city that's in the midst of the river there, and all the plain of Mediba unto Dibon. All the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, which reigned in Heshbon, even unto the border of the children of Ammon. And Gilead, the border of the Geshurites and the Maacathites, and all Mount Hermon and all Bashan unto Salca. All the kingdom of Og and Bashan, which reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edrie, who remained of the remnants of the giants, for these did Moses smite and cast them out. So we see here the boundaries of the Transjordan, and it divides it into three sections. You have this southern section here from Arrower that is upon the bank of the river Arnon all the way through the plain of Mediba up to the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, and then the eastern border would be the children of Ammon. That's the southern section that's just north of the country of Moab. That was one of the areas that the Israelites, one of these tribes, settled on the other side. The section right north of that is the land of Gilead, a big, huge area there just north of the Dead Sea. The word Gilead, it means raw or rugged. And it's a mountainous region reaching 3,500 feet in some spots, but it also has lush grasslands making it great for cattle, which is why these tribes wanted this land. So that whole central region of Gilead. And then you have the third region, the northern section, which is the land of Bashan, where King Og of Bashan reigned. And we call that the Golan Heights today. If you go with us to Israel, we'll actually go and see the ancient land of Bashan. And it's funny because you go over there and it, it looks like a place where giants lived because it's just massive boulders everywhere. They have found many of these holy sites that were constructed. And they, to this day, they don't know how they did it. Well, I do. Big men. It's that simple. You know, when, when you got giants doing the work, you can do a lot more than a normal human being would. So anyway, those are the three sections, the land just north of Moab, Gilead, and then north of there, Bashan, that they conquered on the other side, Jordan. And the two and a half tribes came to Moses and said, Moses, we have lots of herds. We'd rather take our land here than take the land over in Canaan. And Moses granted them that request, as long as they went and fought with Israel to conquer Canaan, which they did. The reason the Geshurites in verse 11 and the Maacathites are mentioned here is because these two people groups will not be conquered by the two and a half tribes and will become a thorn in the side of Israel. We'll get to that in just a moment. The reason we're given these borders again is because that was the land divided to the two and a half tribes, according to those three sections. But this is where the trouble starts. This is why God tells Joshua, get to work, divide the land, because the land they were given, they're already slackened to conquer it all. Verse 13, nevertheless, the children of Israel did not expel, did not drive out, take possession of the Geshurites nor the Maacathites. But the Geshurites and the Maacathites dwell among the Israelites unto this day. Although Moses conquered this land, the half-tribe of Manasseh who got this portion of that land didn't deal with these two groups. And they became a thorn in Israel's side all throughout their history. In fact, after Nebuchadnezzar captured Jerusalem, it was a Maacathite who made an alliance with the Ammonites to oppose Gedaliah, the one that Nebuchadnezzar left in charge of Jerusalem. He was the one who assassinated that guy, that governor, that Israel had to flee to Egypt after the defeat of Jerusalem, leaving not a single Jew in the promised land, making God's judgment complete. God gave him every opportunity to trust the Lord, but they didn't deal with this in the beginning and it came back to hurt them. This is why we cannot have partial obedience in our lives because even if it doesn't hurt us now, it may come back to hurt us in the future. 
it could have been very easy for Israel to settle on the victories God had already given them, to have grown tired of conquering that they would become stagnant in their journey. And eventually, Israel does stop their fighting. In their idleness, they turned to idolatry and walked away from the Lord. God has so much in store for us, but we must keep moving forward. We can't settle on past victories. God is looking to take new ground, to bless us more than we could ever imagine. But we must keep fighting and moving forward in faith, knowing His direction is what's best for our lives. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.